thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. We are continuing our Advent sermon series titled Irreversible, and we'll be looking at the theme of love. Nalanda will be looking at how God's love shown through the birth of Jesus is one that draws us near. Then, Nalanda invites us to consider God's nearness to us through the Holy Spirit. spent before Advent most of the fall in the book of Judges and what came out of that book rather surprisingly I suppose to many of us was a very clear picture of God's love his commitment to his people his mercy to his people um, even in the face of when his people were indifferent or ignorant or even by the end outright refusing to follow in God's way he is consistently showing up for his people in that book um, and it was a really beautiful picture of his faithfulness and his mercy. And I learned recently that one of the verses that is in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that is also referenced and quoted the most in the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I'm going to read it to you. It will be familiar to many of you. The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. This description of God is one that's given on the top of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, way back early in the Old Testament, at the beginning of Israel's story as a rescued people. It's the beginning of the tabernacle and the sacrifice systems and the holidays and the feast days, all of the things that God is going to use throughout the rest of scripture to shape his people, Israel, into the type of people that he's going to one day bring the Messiah out of. And this description of God, gracious and compassionate, abounding in faithful loving kindness and slow to anger while also still being just, that is exactly the God that we saw a picture of in the book of Judges. Faithful to his covenant with Israel despite their often complete failure. And this description that God gives of himself in Exodus 34 is actually what God says about himself to Moses. That's a description he gives. It's not something Moses comes up with. He gives it to Moses and therefore also to the people. And it feels to me when I read that story like it was actually probably very desperately needed at that time in the story. Because as God is at the very beginning of rescuing Israel out of Egypt and forming this new people with Moses up on the mountain delivering this description of himself, they were down the mountain making a golden calf to worship for bringing them out of Egypt. And this description of God that he gives to Moses, it actually happens after the people have made the calf. Moses is on the mountain, he goes down the mountain, he finds them making the golden calf, he smashes it, he really loses his temper, he's, distra he's distraught that people would do this as they're forming a covenant with God. That's the number two rules in the covenant are don't do that, and they do it. And so he's very upset, some other things transpire, and then Moses goes back up the mountain and God says, okay, 
let's do it again. Let's try it again. Get some more tablets. I'm gonna, we're going to do it again. And I'm still interested in this covenant with you. And that's when God gives this description of himself, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It's honestly really incredible. And as the planning team, so your liturgy planning team, was discussing themes for this week of love, we pulled together kind of the general theme for Advent that um, although we have not seen a full transformation of our world, like things are not all, all yet right, there are still irreversible changes that Jesus' birth did bring to our world and our lives. And what are those things? And so for hope, we talked about the fact that there is still darkness in the world, um, but that we, what has changed is that we actually do have a light in Jesus to follow. It has not completely overcome the darkness, but there is a light in the world now, and we do have someone to follow. For peace, we talked about how we no longer have to rely or hope for just the world's definition of peace, but that we have a newer, bigger, broader definition of God's shalom, that he's bringing that all together that we get to participate in. And for joy, last week, we are not all doing it alone. We are actually part of a family, and that little baby Jesus who was born um, began a whole new global, endless family of saints and fellow church members that we are all a part of today. And those three themes actually came together pretty quickly. We were feeling excited. It was moving good. We were like, yeah, that works. Oh, that fits so well. And then we honestly were a little bit stuck on love this week. I mean, it's love. What else is there to say about love? (laughs) So much has been said about it. It's a very it's a word that shows up all the time in church. Like, you know, at May's age, I knew, like, the little song, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's everywhere. Um, and we had just spent our whole series on judges also talking about God's commitment and his covenant love for his people. Like, what else was there for us to really say about it? And so as I was thinking about that, and I think what we've been saying about God's covenant love is true. All of the things that came out of that Judges series and what I was just talking about in Exodus, like that is the way that God described himself to his people. It's true. And it's important that we hear it as often as we can because I think we sometimes don't believe that about God, that he's so committed to us, that he's so interested in maintaining his covenant with us. But I think that that way of thinking about God's love, while true, also runs the risk of maybe allowing us or encouraging us to think that maybe God only loves us that way, that maybe he only feels a sense of commitment or obligation to us, that yes, he is faithful to his covenant, but he's faithful to his covenant because he's God and he's perfect and therefore he has to love us because he promised he would and he has to come through on his promises. And as I was reflecting on that understanding of love and on the Christmas story, I was struck very suddenly by the actual picture of the nativity story, the one that is so familiar to us. Even if we didn't grow up in church, we've all seen it. Like this one. There's Mary. She's looking very fresh for just having had a baby. (laughs) Baby Jesus is also looking very happy and content. There's Joseph the shepherds, the angel, 
Jesus born as a tiny, brand new little baby. And this is a very, very familiar picture to all of us. Probably most of us have something like this in our house up right now. And we've all heard sermons and sung songs about how vulnerable that little baby Jesus was and how humble of his birthplace and how unusual his lowly visitors and all of that is true and important. Those are important facets of this story. But what struck me this year in a new way is that the way that Jesus entered this world changed our response to him. What do you do with a baby? You pick them up. You pull them towards yourself. You hold them close to your heart so they can feel your heart, feel your breathing. You don't hold them at arm's length or at a distance. You, you move like this. This is our instinct with a baby, like that. Oh, it's, was it up? Yeah, that was May, two years ago. That's what we do with babies. We hold them close. And here is the God who, at Mount Sinai, appeared to Israel in fire and cloud and thunder. And the people are afraid. They don't even want to approach the mountain. They ask Moses, no, 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 you go up instead of us and commit to our covenant on our behalf because we're too scared. We don't want to go up the mountain. That God is made incarnate on the earth in something that everyone's instinct is to do this to, to pull towards yourself. I don't think we can ignore that shift. When Jesus was born, it was the beginning of an irreversible change in how we can respond to God with this movement instead of this. And it starts with him as this tiny, tiny little newborn baby. And I believe that this is actually consistent with many other stories of Jesus as he grew up and became older. It's not just as a little baby that people wanted to draw him near to themselves. Sometimes, like with the disciples, Jesus kind of came in out of nowhere and said, hey, you, follow me. He did pursue people and seek them out and do that. But there are also so many stories in the times of Jesus on earth of people following him, like hounding him, really. He had to go stand out in a boat and get away from the crowds because they were pressing in on him. They want to be close to him. They respond to him with reaching, with longing. Zacchaeus climbing a tree to get like a little glimpse of Jesus. The woman who bled for years, reaching out thinking, if I could just touch a little bit of his cloak, then I'll be healed. The woman who wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. For most of the history of scripture, humanity's interaction with the divine up until that point had been to bow in reverence, to take off your shoes, to fall on their face, to appoint someone else to go, like Moses or a priest, or at the very least, to be afraid. And then all of a sudden, after this birth, we have all of these people interacting with Jesus, with God, in these totally new, ordinary, and intimate ways. And the story doesn't actually end with Jesus walking the earth as a human. As he says to the Samaritan woman when he's sitting with her at the wells, my paraphrase from John 4, a time is coming when the people of God won't require God's glorious fire and thundercloud 
presence in a temple in order to worship him. But they will worship him in spirit. And the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's the same word for breath. It's here in your chest. It's as close as it can possibly get. And so this brings us to our love candle for this week. In the first week of Advent, for hope, Andrea painted a picture of this candle. I think this is the hope, this is the hope one. Um, as a symbol of our hope, even with the candle lit, the room would be cold and dark. It, not all would change. But our hope lies in the fact that the candle itself will be completely transformed. The wick is going to burn, the wax is going to melt, and it, the candle, will be irreversibly changed. And for this week, for love, I want to offer you the picture of this candle again, but as a symbol of each of us. Many years after the Christmas story, as is told in John 16, Jesus stood in a room with his disciples and told them that it is actually better that he go away, for he is leaving the Holy Spirit with them, the Comforter. And when the Spirit did descend on the disciples, it showed up as fire. Okay, I'm going to give this one a try. It showed up like that, as a little tongue of fire over everyone's head. And so I want to offer this candle to you as a symbol of that, that Jesus coming as a baby was a picture. He wanted to shift our response to him so that we pick him up and we draw him close. But then as he got older and fulfilled his mission on earth, what he did, and by giving his disciples and us the Holy Spirit, is he said, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to be so close to you that I'm actually in you that the Holy Spirit is going to be in you, just like this candle, that this is God's love and presence with us, in us, through the Holy Spirit. And that that's, I know it's a Pentecost story. I apologize, it's Advent, I know. But that this is what it was pointing to, that that picture of Jesus as a little baby was pointing to this one day, that God actually wants to be so close to you that he's like your breath with you all the time, in every part of your life, in every part of your body and your being. That's where we find God's love for us in this Christmas story. I'm going to just read um, from Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That blowing of the violent wind, the fire, that's consistent with all the pictures so far of God's glory and power descending in the Old Testament on the mountain, the tabernacle, the temple. But here it descends on Jesus' ordinary human disciples, on us. God has again drawn so much nearer than maybe we ever expected in the Holy Spirit. And this is the love of God that transforms us. Just like the candle is going to be transformed, this is the love that transforms us. The presence of God that began with Jesus being born and has continued to us sitting in this room today. This candle with the flame is the symbol of the Spirit. 
And there are lots of symbols all throughout scripture. I think God knew that we need tangible things to help us understand and believe these things. So Jesus also gave his disciples another symbol of his presence with them. That's this one, a meal that he ate with his disciples before he died. And in a hospitality culture in particular, sitting together and eating together was a sign um, of love and honor and welcome and being a part of all of the same thing together. And that is definitely a part of this meal. But I'm going to offer you an additional way to think about it this morning. After Jesus' death, his disciples developed this meal as a way to remember Jesus, to think about him every time that they eat it. And I think... um, There are lots of ways to do that. This morning, I will find what I wrote here. (laughs) Um, This morning, I want to pull out one little piece, and that is the piece of taking the elements, Jesus' body, his blood that was shed for us. This is part of the way that we get to be close to God. He He painted the picture of God's heart and God's desire to be close to us. And then he made a way for that to be possible. And that's what communion is. But it is also a way for us to respond to that. So God paints this picture of how close he wants to be to us. When we pick up his body and his blood and we bring it to ourselves and we take it into ourselves and we eat it, and it actually becomes part of our body. Some of what we eat today might actually end up in part of our cells. It becomes part of us, just like the Holy Spirit does. So it's the same image. And I think communion this morning, I want to offer you as an opportunity to sit and reflect with that, sit and think about that, hear from God about that, and then actually do that. Say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be that close. I I hear that that's what you want from me, and I also want to be a bit closer. And so as you take the elements and you put them in your mouth and you actually make them part of you, um, I want you to hear that that's what God is saying to you in this story, that he loves you, that he wants to be part of you. Thank you for listening in today and this year. We will resume our sermon starting on January 8th with a new sermon series titled New, which will be looking through the book of Ephesians. For more resources, you can go to our website at vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.